my dad, my dad is the one that took us to church when I was a kid growing up. And because my dad was Baptist, my, in, my introduction to Christianity was a Baptist introduction. And can I just say that Baptists do some things that are just plain awkward? Okay, so when I was 10 years old, I had gotten to a point where I wanted to accept Jesus. I, grownups talked about that, and I wanted Jesus in me the way they seemed to have God in them. But at, at age 10, the only way I knew how to do it was to go forward at the end of a church service, okay? And so if you're not familiar with that, let me explain how that works. So every Sunday, there would be a, a, a hymn of invitation, all right? And during that hymn of invitation, you could get up out of your seat, walk all the way down to the front in front of everyone, and respond to God in that way. And so I was, a, I was an introverted kid. I was a shy kid at family gatherings with my cousins and aunts and uncles and stuff, like I sat in the corner and didn't wanna to talk to anyone. And so I was petrified of this whole thing. So for weeks, I felt God like literally trying to pull me out of the pew. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good, I'll just burn in hell forever. It's okay. <laughs> and so, Finally, I, I thought to myself, you know, hell seems so much worse than going forward. I'm just going to do it. And so that Sunday, I was on this section of the church. And, and so when you're a kid, when you're 10 years old in a Baptist church, you don't get the aisle seat. That's for, that's for adults, people with seniority, ushers, the older people, right? They get the aisle. And so when you're a kid, you're in the middle of the row and it's a pew. And so I had to get up. And, and go past my dad, who says to me, son, if you need to go to the bathroom, you need to wait. <laughs> dad, dad, I'm going forward. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I get to Mr. and Miss, Mrs. Topliff at the end of the row. Mr. Topliff says to me, Mark, if you need to go to the bathroom, <laughs> you need to wait. And I'm like, I'm going forward. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so he gets in, uh, you know, waves me down the aisle. I go all the way down the aisle and everybody's singing, but I feel like everybody's looking at me. I get to the front where Reverend Hinton is and because he's older, I say what I'm down there for and of course, people are singing, there's ambient noise and he can't hear anything. So he's like, what? You wanna do what? And so I have to repeat it. Now I'm saying it loud enough that everyone in the first couple of rows has heard why I've come forward. And so the way it worked is when, when that was done and after the pastor prayed for you, he would put up his hands like this and everything would stop. And then he would tell everyone in the room what you had just told him. And that's how you accepted God. At least that's what I thought when I was 10, okay? Awkward, okay? The other thing that Baptists do is that um, we would have meals in the fellowship hall, which was in the basement of the church. So the, the, the upstairs was the sanctuary, below it was the fellowship hall. And so when, when we had a meal, you had to wait until someone had prayed and you had to hold hands, right? And so as a kid, again, I'm, I'm holding somebody's hand and it's an older person. And 
they didn't pray short prayers. The person who was designated to pray at a, at a fellowship event didn't, it wasn't like, God, thank you so much for this food, amen. Oh, that would have been awesome. No, 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 it was, and they prayed in King James English, our heavenly Father, we beseech thee today. You know, and, and on and on, and the, the bounty, fruits of bounty stuff, and then the, the pastor, the pastor's wife, the pastor's kids and grandkids, the missionaries, and I'd be like, how many missionaries do we have? And my hand is getting all sweaty, and it's that sweaty dankness, you know, and you're holding someone else's hand. They, and then, right, as soon as you're done, now you're gonna eat. That's awesome, right? <laughs> okay, and so, just again, awkward. Now, and I, I thought, okay, I've gotten the, the best of the awkwardness behind me when I, when I went to college. I went to a Christian college in Chicago, and I thought, this is gonna be great. It's gonna be, you know, comfortable and, and wonderful. And, and so, on my floor my freshman year, all of the guys that I lived with decided that they were gonna do a, a worship service on Sunday afternoons. Going to church wasn't enough. We had to do another one, and it lasted four hours. Four hours. And it was full of people from California who were charismatic. And it was my first experience with that. And so they would pray. They would get on the floor like this, fully prostrate. And they would, oh, cry out to God. And I was like, awkward, 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 awkward. And then the hands and then the words of knowledge and speaking in tongues. And I had never experienced any of that. But I could the Holy Spirit that was in me, you know, there was this connection. I was like, okay, that's God. But... It's awkward, and, and, and again, nothing in my Baptist training had prepared me for a service that went on for four hours, okay? Awkward, awkward. And then my roommate happened to be Catholic, and there were certain Saturdays he took me to Mass. And so here we would go to Mass, and he, it, was, it had to be one of the only churches in greater Chicagoland that still did it in Latin, because it, it wasn't in English. And, and so I remember going with him and he was always upset because it was him and the nuns that knew when to stand and kneel and sit and, and I had never encountered the flip down. You know, you, I was in position already to pray and then the thing comes down, whack, oh! Okay, so like, you know, you have to, awkward. I'm just saying awkward, okay? Well, I became, I, I became a young father, and the church that we were a part of, uh, because I was a young father, they were like, you need to be in the men's ministry. It'll be great for you, you know, hang out with other men. And I thought, okay, well, this is great. And so every men's ministry thing I went to, it seemed like they talked about one thing, porn. And I was like, awkward, <laughs> okay? And, you know, porn's not been a thing for me that I've, uh, an issue that I've had. And so there was that part. And then there was the sports everything. I'm just not into anything with a ball. And, and then there's the, there was the butt slapping that went on among the, just men's ministry. A guy would come up to you and whack, you know, and that's, I'm just saying, awkward, okay? So, and there, I would spend time, there were part of me, part of me would, I would, on the drive home, I'd be like, maybe I'm doing manhood wrong. Like, I, you know, it didn't come with the manual. You know, some of these things are new to me. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Like, I don't know, okay? And so, 
again, awkward. And, and then I became a pastor. And I was unprepared for all the crying, okay, right? And so f- for my own emotionally, you know, challenged upbringing, uh, and so the first few times there was a season where uh, when I was uh, the executive pastor where like it seemed like every middle-aged lady in the church wanted to come talk to me about something and within two minutes of talking to me, you know, it's just sobbing. And I remember one particular afternoon, Alice, you know, on the intercom, you know, Max, Mrs. Literal is here to see you. And I was like, I just puked in the restroom. Like, I can't see anybody. You know, I, I didn't say that, but I so wanted to say that. Like, again, awkward. Okay, so much of my life in church has had these moments of being uncomfortable, moments of of awkwardness to it. And I find it ironic because in America today, uh, in America today, Americans are looking for a place of worship where they can be, uh, where they can feel comfortable, right? Americans are chasing comfort. They, they want to be comfortable with the, the liturgy or the, the lack of liturgy. They want to be comfortable with the, the music. They want to be comfortable with the types of people that are there. And typically, it's people like them. So if they're young, they want young people. If they're old, they want old people. If they're white, they want white people. Like, did you know that um, uh, Sunday mornings are one of the most segregated times for America, right? And, and so uh, Americans want to be comfortable with the preaching, uh, more than one pastor's gotten in trouble because he preached on something he shouldn't have. And, you know, the deacons or the elders sit him down and go, now, you're not going to preach like that again, preacher, you know. And so today, I want to put a stake in the ground, and I want to say this. Church is not an event or an experience that you like as much as it is a set of relationships that at times can be awkward. And that's actually what you need. Right? The Bible has a lot to say about this, and Paul in particular has some very important things to say about that. But before we get there, I want to talk for a moment about the language that we use to describe church. When I'm talking about church today, I will say, I go to generations. Uh, we'll ask the question of other people, oh, do you go to church? And they'll, they'll respond, and if they say yes, oh, where do you go? It's, it's language of going. Um, just like you go to the movies, or you go out to eat, or you go to Disney World, or you go to work. Um, but back in the 1970s, the language was different. For those of you that are older, you'll know this when I say this, right? People didn't talk that way. Back in the 1970s, people would ask, uh, people would say, well, I'm a member, I'm a member of First Baptist. And if they were asking someone about their church experience, the question was, are you a, are you a member anywhere? Where do you belong? It was language of belonging. It was different. Um, and I'm going to tell you that despite the excessive use of polyester and aquanet in the 1970s, they were on to something. This is closer to the biblical idea of church. There are a lot of metaphors for church in the Bible. The church is the beloved bride of Christ. The church is called a flock. Um, elders and pastors are encouraged to guard the flock, keep the flock, watch the flock. 
the church is called the household of faith. Uh, it's referred to as a ship. Uh, it's called the people of God. But of all of these metaphors, the most important one is this word right here. So if you're relatively new to generations, I have great news for you today. You're going to finally understand why we call that meal that takes place at the Hubers every month the Oikos meal. You'd be like, why is it called this weird name? Well, today you're going to know. You're like, oh, that's why. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, so if you brought a paper Bible, I want you to pull it out, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Ephesians is a circular letter written by Paul uh, to churches that were throughout what is modern-day Turkey. Um, and he has a lot of things to say in this letter. And in the second chapter, the first 10 verses, he's basically saying, look, none of us got in with God because of our good works, good looks, or because of our pedigree. It's all by grace. We all got in the same way. It was a gift from God. And then in the next few verses, he says, and because of that, God is actually taking groups of people that didn't like each other, didn't want to have anything to do with each other, were basically enemies, and he's putting them together into a family. Jews and Gentiles. See, Jews and Gentiles, you know, Jews would be like, oh, goyim, and Gentiles would be like, oh, Jews. You know, and it was just this thing in the first century. And so in the, in the verses 19 to 22, which is where we're going to be today, Paul makes a case for what the church is, all right? And so we're going to pick things up, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Although that's not... Um, yeah, that is correct. Okay. I lost my place. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners... You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You're citizens. You belong. It's language of belonging. They're members of God's family, God's oikos. And that's the word that he uses here. Oikos is found all throughout the first century in Greek homes, Roman homes, Jewish homes. Uh, it included the Lord, his wife, their children, uh, servants, slaves. Sometimes it would include freed people. Sometimes it would include clients. But it was a kind of a, it was a household. We might think of it as extended family. And so in the New Testament, whenever Paul is talking about husbands, wives, master slaves, he's using language of oikos, language of household. In a household, everyone is irreplaceable. In a household, everyone has a role. But the thing with with oikos is you don't choose it. You're either born into it or brought into it. Uh, Jesus in, uh, was talking about it, and he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And branches don't say, hey, Jesus, you know, I'm not really an olive tree kind of a branch. You know, I'm, I'm really more of a date or nut kind of a branch. So you know what? I'm just, I'm going to go over here to the date nut thing, okay? That's going to, is that okay? Like choice and autonomy, things that we value as Americans, they don't factor in at all in any of the metaphors used of church in the New Testament. Well, well Paul continues this, verse 20. He says, together we are his house, New metaphor. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So now he's switching metaphors. We're not just an extended family, we're a building. And the people reading this letter would have immediately understood. For the Jews, they knew what the glory of the temple was. The, the temple that Herod had completed in Jerusalem was massive. All of Jerusalem was kind of centered around it and anchored by it. It was the big thing of Jerusalem. You couldn't miss it. And then in Ephesus itself was one of the eighth wonders of the ancient world, the, the temple of Artemis. Artemis of the Ephesians! No, none of you are into that? Okay, so it was a big deal for them in the city of Ephesus. It was a big, big uh, thing of pride. Um, and so both buildings, so Paul's using this language and he's talking about buildings. I don't know if you've noticed this about the building that we rent out, but you, do you see this metal thing here? Do you know what this is, this little slit in this metal thing? What is it? It's a room divider. Why is it that churches and banquet rooms love room dividers, right? What is the thing? So the way it works is, you know, the doors back there pop open and it goes, flum, 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 boom, and it divides the room. If we were to rip this thing out and take it out there on the golf course, would it have any meaning or purpose? No. It only works here in the building. And so are you getting the picture that Paul's kind of painting? He's saying, on the one hand, you're part of a family. And then he switches metaphors and he says, you're part of a building held together by Jesus. So every part of this building is needed, necessary, irreplaceable. But the meaning and significance, it comes from the building as a whole, not from the individual parts. Well, he goes on, verse 21, he says, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now, this sounds great. Oh, we're carefully joined together. You know, it's like when you, when you go out and you try a new hobby or activity and you meet some people and it like totally clicks and you think, oh my gosh, I just met my new best friend. No, it's not what he means by this. He's using the building metaphor language. And so stones that are put together in these massive buildings needed to be hammered and chiseled and all the rough edges taken off so that they can be fit together. That's what he means by carefully fitted together. In other words, if you're the stone, it's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> and it might hurt, okay? That's the imagery and language that Paul's using to talk about church, chisels and hammers and uh, smushed together. He wraps it up in verse 22, he says this, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God's family is where Jesus lives today. Um, and it's like we say in the South, there's, there's y'all and then there's all y'all, right? So all y'all, more than five, all y'all together, all of us are God's family. And in us, in all y'all, God dwells. Jesus Christ dwells, lives, okay? And so 
in this imagery, in this idea of oikos, I just want to say to you, it runs so counter to the way we Americans like to think of church, doesn't it? So the way the Bible talks about it is just different than what our experience in the 2000s and 2010s are. So let me ask a couple of questions and then let me make some application from this passage. The first question is, would you be willing to see moments of awkwardness as a sign that you're in the right place rather than as an indicator that you haven't found the right people? Would you be willing to embrace some awkwardness in your life? And then secondly, would you be willing to put yourself into contexts that make you uncomfortable in 2018? Would you be willing to do that? So how can we take this, this passage about being an extended family and, and what, what does that mean for you and me, right? Let me draw some things out. First of all, I want you to see church as a family and not as an event or an experience. Um, and just like when you have your Thanksgiving gathering, chances are there are some awkward moments in Jenny's family. Uh, with her adopted uncle and aunt, there was Uncle Jack, and Uncle Jack was famous because Uncle Jack always fell asleep at the table in a chair, standing up, and his head went back and he just snored out loud. And so they have picture after picture, year after year of Uncle Jack, okay? Just understand that in your, in your church family, you're going to run into some Uncle Jacks. <laughs> you're going to have them. Don't run away from them, okay? Embrace the awkward and expect the awkward, okay? The, the second thing is I want you to realize that this uh, life is not meant to be done alone. Um, there, there are some people in America today that have this idea, well, it's just me and Jesus and that's all I need. No, you actually need God's family. You need that community. And so the way it's supposed to work is the church provides the structure. The church provides the structure for that to happen. And you and I, we decide to just step up and step in. Let me tell, tell you a couple of ways that's worked in my life. When, when Jenny and I were very young uh, and, and first married, our first experience after not being Baptists anymore, was with a group of covenanters. They're basically Lutherans. I like to think of them as closeted Lutherans, all right? They, they had the robes, the whole nine yard, the last line of every hymn was in Swedish. And so the way it worked in this church, a church of about 300 and some people, is um, the structure that they provided for community for Oikos were Sunday school classes. So uh, you'd have to go early before the service, an hour and a half before the service, and go to Sunday school. And they, they, they had really creative names. You want to know what the names of the Sunday school classes were? There was the purple class. Woo! There was the yellow class. And there was the red class. Booyah! Jenny and I were in the purple class. And each of these classes had about 35 or 50 people in them which was a little bit too much to kind of get to know people. And so what we did is within the context of our purple class, there were three other couples that were under the age of 30. And so we just said, well, we're going to start 
uh, having dinner every other Friday night and playing games. And the first time we got together, when it was all done, you know what I said to Jenny? Please don't ever make me do that again. <laughs> and do you know what she said to me? Tough. <laughs> That's what God wants us to do, and we're going to do it, and you're going. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, one was Terry, uh, and I was totally freaked out by Terry because he was a psychologist. So I was always worried that he was like psychoanalyzing me, right? And then, then there was the couple, they were the overly affectionate couple. And, you know, of course, I'm always like, you know, is Jenny going to now expect me to be more affectionate? Like, you know, how's this going to play out? And so there was just this awkwardness to it. But the funny thing is, at the, at the end of just a year of doing that, I considered them friends. Isn't that weird how that worked? Uh, same thing happened at Church of the Savior. At Church of the Savior, Jenny and I joined a, a small group, and, and it met every Sunday night, and everything about that small group was not geared to our life. Like, um, I was a children's pastor at the time, so I, I had two Sunday morning services in all the children's areas I was responsible for. This group met on Sunday night, and it was in Lexington. We lived in Nicholasville, so we had to get in our car, drive all the way to Lexington. John Mark was about... Uh, was born during that group. And every single Sunday night, I've told this story before, every single Sunday night, we would get in the car. There were like 14 other kids in that small group. We shoved them into a room. We hung them on walls. I'm just kidding. I, you know, God knows what they did with those two ladies from Asbury that watched the kids. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for those two ladies. Okay, so we would put him in the car. We would drive down the road and he would scream bloody murder 15 minutes until we hit Southland Christian Church and then he'd be out. And that, but you know, from that small group, we, we had another couple that we got to the point where like, you know, the first time you travel together as a couple, but you have kids and you're like, oh my goodness, we need to have a will. Oh my goodness, who would the money and the, who would get the kids and the money, right? With somebody in our small group, right? And, and so that's kind of how that works. So I just want to say to you, the second thing is step up and step in. The church provides the structure. You and I, we just step up and step in. At Generations, there's two ways. We have groups, and then there's ministries. You, you either, maybe you sing, or maybe you host, or maybe you help plan events. But those are the two ways at Generations, the structures that we have for kind of stepping in. The third thing is quit focusing on what you want out of church and instead focus on what you need. Um, what I have found is that as we get more and more immersed in social media and we're all sort of connected with each other, one of the things that I'm discovering is that far too many Americans are just relationally poor. They really don't have the richness of real, genuine friendships and relationships. And, and it's because we, we eschew awkward. We're, we're like, it's got to click and work from the very first moment. We have this expectation that that's how it's supposed to be. And because we expect that, we just run away from the awkward. And, and awkward is often how it happens, okay? Um, and, and the last thing is I would encourage you to let go of your dream church. I want to tell you, I wanna, I'm going to do something I probably shouldn't do. I'm going to tell you in just a few sentences my dream church. Feel free to laugh along the way. If I had a magic wand and I could create the ideal church, 
It would be a place where people were comfortable wearing bow ties and tweed jackets to the Sunday morning service. It would have a choir that could not only do black gospel, but it could rock out a Bach cantata to the point where people have their hands up and are screaming hallelujah when they're done. I would, my ideal church would have art everywhere from all the different artists in the community. And, and artisans from all over the area would be like, I want to have my art displayed at blank church because that's the place to be. It's so pick and creative and artistic. The building would be 100% environmentally friendly, but it would also be comfortable and warm, right? Uh, my ideal church would, would never have problems of service, uh, probably wouldn't have many people on payroll because people would just volunteer to do things. Um, and I could go on and on, right? Is anything I just described like generations? <laughs> some of it, <laughs> some of it not, right? So does my dream, but does my ideal church even exist somewhere? I don't even think it does, <laughs> okay? And here I had the opportunity to help start a church from scratch and I didn't create that. So I just wanna say to you that sometimes, and many of us found this out in the world of relationships, either with a friendship or a dating thing, we realized that we had this ideal thing in our head and then when we set that aside, we could actually enjoy friendship and then also dating and, and, and those kind of relationships, okay? So uh, lastly, let go of your dream church. C.S. Lewis has this to say about it. And it wouldn't be a Protestant sermon in America if we weren't quoting Lewis, okay, <laughs> right? So here he, here he is. I love this. I love this. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I knew a bottle of port would do that. Port is wine. If you want a religion to make you really comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. There you have it from C.S. Lewis, okay? Trust me, you don't want to be comfortable. You want to belong. And I, I beg you, I implore you, I plead with you in 2018, make decisions to step up and step in. And understand that when you do, it's gonna be awkward and that's just part of it. But know that beyond the awkwardness with time, commitment, and all the other Christian virtues woven into there is this magical, wonderful thing called real community. And it's awesome. It's awesome.